This is another episode of Main Corpse. I am your host, Matt. And I'm Kelsey. This is Kelsey. We have got a story for you that's going to turn the stomach. That's pretty cool. I know, it's really not bad. Hey, welcome to Main Corpse. I'm Matt. And I'm Kelsey. And today we're joined by... Michael Woods. And... Brittany King. All right. We're the so spouses. They are the spouses. <laughs> so they are interfering with our program today because uh, they are with us in Helvetia, West Virginia, and we are here uh, for Fossilock. There we go. I'm so excited. I've waited so long to be here, and we've already tried some food, but I think we're going to cover it later, right? The oh, hut? definitely. Okay, we'll talk about it on another episode, but right now, we do have a few things we're going to try. Do you want to explain what you're about to try before you... Okay, you tried it already? No, she's All eating right. it. Okay, this is the vegetarian chili. I'm going to let you taste it first, okay. and then I'll tell you oh. what I think about it. And then I'll pass it to Brittany, and then Michael. Michael doesn't get any. It smells good. Bland. It's bland. Yeah. It's really bland. Um, it, it definitely needs more spice. It's a little too sweet for me. I love the consistency of the bean, though. They got yeah. that perfect. Yeah. Um, I like it. But it is... But bland. It is bland. Yeah. It's like... I don't love it. Nin- yeah, 90s not, not vegetarian bland. But it's it's not the worst thing I've ever had. All right, and this is also the broth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Michael, Michael does not like spicy stuff, so if there's even a hint of spice, he'll pick it up. And I'm not being mean. You know, it's true. I am. Um, Jalapenos about my level of spice. Yeah. Mm. So I'm saying you would pick it up if there was some good spice in there, and there wasn't. All right. So what is this? The brat with the spicy mustard and sauerkraut. Yes. Can I warn you before you take a bite? Yeah. Um, I told them extra spicy mustard. Yes. um, Because I love it. (laughs) Me too. So good. We should have gotten two of those. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Um, Ooh. Yeah, so the brat itself has one of the best bites I've I've tried on a brat. Or sorry, on a brat. It's it just the bite's perfect. That the, sauerkraut is the exact sweet. perfect balance. It's sweet. Um, it's salty. Uh, the mustard is super super spicy. Um, mm-hmm. and I love it. This is this is great. I don't like mustard, and that's good. I'm generally not a sauerkraut fan, but the sauerkraut this year might have turned me around. And that spicy mustard, delicious. So, great news. The chili is actually worse after you try that. <laughs> well, yeah. What's going to be better after you try that broth? I don't know. I don't know why I thought it would take, be better. Take another bite, then I'm finishing it. I don't know why I was going to turn it down. I don't know why either. The broth alone is some part of the broth we have. And the spicy there. mustard, it's not overwhelming for you, right? And like I said, you're just not a big spice person. So Usually you get a broth and it's almost too sweet, and that's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Like the kraut's making the sweetness, and it's nice. The broth, the broth also has a really good texture. Mm-hmm. Good crunch on the outside. And their bread choice was really good, too. Oh, nice, yeah. soft bread. Mm-hmm. Don't sleep on the bread. That is good and bread. I was, I'll be honest with you, from looking at it, I didn't expect that. It looked like it was going to be dry, and it wasn't. 100% nailed that. It has a dry look, but it's really fluffy and moist. Mm. So, the chili, uh, leave it behind. The broth, if you're ever here, go get it. I might get another one of those to take home for dinner later on, because that was good. I get it, yeah. I'm like, I wish... I almost wish they would have had that mustard somewhere in one of the stores. And by the oh, way, yeah. uh, Michael bought me a beer. Huh? So uh, I am Cheers. drinking Mountain State Brewing um, IPA. It's one of my favorite brews. It's actually just their pale ale. Oh, is it just their pale yeah. ale? Okay. It's, really it's the one you ale. like. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Do you want to try it? I can. I can't imagine. I'm going to like it. I don't think you will either. But, oh, it's so good. It's very floral. 
Did you get stout or did you get? Pale? I actually didn't hate uh, any of that. Yeah, from a, from a beer it's, drinker, uh, it's floral. This is a good beer. It's person. it's mildly hoppy and mm-hmm. it's not offensive at all. Yeah, um, and it's kind of sweet. And yeah, it goes yeah, well with the broth. That would that would be a good like pizza beer. Do you want to try their oatmeal stout? One hundred percent. Why not? All right, we're just. I doing love this. their oatmeal stout too. Not gonna lie. Their beer is good with their pizza, too. That must be a favorite around here, because they were almost out of the stout. Is that the... What's it called What's it called from them? I forget what it's called, yeah. but it's their oatmeal stout, gotcha. specifically. I didn't hate it. It wasn't offensive, but between the two, I would go with the pale ale, personally. Yeah. They have this right by your guys' house. I don't like it that much. Mm. I am not a beer drinker. Or Sorry, drinker. I got excited because I thought I was winning you over to the beer side, but <laughs> I told it didn't Bernie, work. She is more of a wine person. Yeah. I'm just kind of surprised I didn't have a wine here. Me but. too. Me too. Um, yeah, that's actually, that's really odd. But um, they are Europeans, so they understand the how beautiful um, a good beer is. I like that crack just now. So... What we're going to try now, I, and I'm sorry if I butcher this, anyone from Helvetia, it's called, I believe it's called like Hopsel or something like that, and it's a, it's basically a fried dough that they serve it, here for frosting. I think we've said it differently every time we've said it. There's like three different versions uh, of it too up there. Hopsplot? I thought you said it something like It reminds me almost like pie dough. It's a fried pie dough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit I think they said that on Facebook. On it. It's mildly sweet. Um, it's got a really nice oh. crunch to it. It's a, it's like a cannoli shell. Guys, I yeah. like that. I think it would be better with uh, some jam or something like that. Coffee. Oh, we should have coffee. gotten jam from Ooh, the uh, post office. Uh-huh. Honey would have been good on that, too. Ooh, like Honey a would be good on that. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminiscent of that. Yeah, this is, the, this is one of the traditional pastries they make for this. Do you want to talk about the meal, too? No, no? we're going to leave that for later. Don't spoil it. Who knows if it was good? <laughs> Um, tune in to find out. <laughs> please. If you, get, if you haven't heard it, tune out. I'm leaving um, this in. <laughs> okay, so now we also have donuts. And where are they from again? Oh, they yeah, are. Brittany. They are from Downstate Donuts. Yeah. And, and they're made with potatoes. Oh. Yeah. So potato they're potato donuts. donuts. And um, these kids were really good salespeople. They sure Because were. they had a um, drawing of sea turtles. And it said, help us save the sea turtles. And it was really cute. It looked like it might have been crayon, which that's just adorable. Are they and, all the same kind? Um, no. So there, no. we got vanilla, maple, and chocolate. There's two of each. So we should probably just take one of each, right? Yeah, one of each. And me and Brittany will split it. You and Michael Here's can split half. it. Perfect. Here's yeah. a chocolate if you want to have that. Brittany, one more on this one. I don't know. Taste it. We're gonna find out. Oh whoa! Don't Delicious. say anything yet. Well, can I you tell did. me what flavor it is? No. <laughs> is it vanilla or is it maple? It's probably vanilla. I'm not tasting maple. Okay, well then. <laughs> Here's your chocolate. Okay, so let's start with the vanilla, I guess. I guess. Yeah, since they went ahead. You're not going to stop me from eating a donut. That's a really nice cakey texture, mm-hmm. but it's super moist. This also needs coffee. I was not expecting that from a potato donut. I am not going to lie. Darn near delicious. That's That's one hell of a good donut. Chocolate? Yeah, let's yeah. move to chocolate. Mmm, it's the exact same thing I just had, but with chocolate. Mm-hmm. The bottom has a texture to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I it makes it better. It's bubbly it, it, I, and it like it doesn't, mm-hmm. but it makes it better. It's like it's extra fried somehow, even though it's not. Wow. Alright. So what do you think? Can we so find far? a maple chocolate? donut? Really? Yeah. Chocolate is by far better. 
I am my on the opposite side of that war. Me too. I I'm actually say thought chocolate and vanilla have been warring since a long time. And that glaze on that vanilla. That's chocolate. Well, the hosts of the show disagree with you, so you guys lose. Clearly, we're um, right. <laughs> I think the blue is probably I'll tell you this. I saw the piece of the vanilla one sitting here. I have none of the chocolate in there. I tore it's that up. Maple, as it smells like syrup. There we go. Yeah. Nailed that. Chocolate oh, orange on the inside. That's cool. Oh. That's wild. Oh. Can you give it? I already yeah. smelled it. I can tell I'm going to like this. Yeah, I'm giving you a bigger piece of it. Oh, wow. That is a strong sound. <laughs> oh. And the Oscar goes to? I know my favorite. Maple. Wow. I'm so mad. I don't even like maple donuts. Oh, I do. It's like my favorite thing. You know what's wild about this? It doesn't taste like imitation maple. Yeah. Mm -mm. It really doesn't. And that's that's hard to pull off. Maple right there. That's really good. And that is a very cakey donut, too. Mm-hmm. That's like eating cake. Mm-hmm. You know what, Matt? I'm going to say it. That is the best thing we found in the show. <laughs> it's up there. These donuts came out of left field for me. I This was, honestly, when we came over here to sit down, this was like secondary in my mind to the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is unbelievably good. We should have just got donuts. This place is a winter wonderland of delicious food, and I'm here for it. I wasn't expecting it to go so hard with the food when we got here. Mm -hmm. I was. I really thought this was going to be like a fair style, but yeah. everything's like homemade. Mm -hmm. I expected we were going to go hard with the food, and we did. We have, yes. I've eaten more today than I have in, like, four months. We've eaten all the things, I think, that we were possibly able to get. Yes, I, I really do. And, by the way, we did also buy Swiss cheese that is that is made here um, to take home with us, and we're going to try it on a short, too, so you guys will get to hear that. Definitely. Okay, so what was the best thing you had today? Donut. Donut. Brittany? Maple donut. Michael? Not not counting lunch. We haven't talked about lunch yet. But that's so, going to be later. I'm going to be 100%. Mm -hmm. You guys know I'm not a fan of sauerkraut. But that sauerkraut on the and spicy mustard. On, on the broth. Mm -hmm. That was in the bread. It was 100% away. Yeah, that's bread. number two for me. Yeah. yeah. Same. That's number so two for, for me. me. Yeah. It is the It's the broth for me. Number one. Nice. Okay. All right. So you heard it here first. The brat one. Wow. The brought one for Michael. So for me, it was the donut, specifically the maple donut. Me too. Number two was the brought. Number Same. three was the chocolate donut. That's my that's yeah. my order today. Brittany, what do you think? I can definitely agree to that. What about you, Rip? Maple donut, and then mm -hmm. probably the brought brought with the kraut, like he was saying, mm -hmm. and then and then maybe the vanilla donut. Oh wow! Okay. Which I'm usually a donut was really good. I'm usually a chocolate person, but it, like I don't yeah. know if this is any kind of testament to this area. But, like, if you can take something that I generally don't like mm -hmm. and make me change my mind, um, the sauerkraut was really, really good. I'm Which, um, as his wife mm. and a person who likes sauerkraut, this man doesn't eat sauerkraut. But this, if, however they make it, if you can figure it out, I'd eat it all the time. Delicious. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I and think the secret, you've got to cook it down a lot. I'm not a huge maple-flavored donut fan with it tasting like authentic maple. That's another thing I don't normally like, but I really like to hear. Yeah, so um, I'm going to say this. I think we should do another live episode from here, maybe yeah. this summer, from the Hut Restaurant, which you guys will hear about later on. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think we should. Listen, I'm never going to say no to really good food. Now that I know how to get here. All right. Well, um, next you're going to hear the story that we have lined up for you today, and I hope you love it. How about that food? 
It All was right. awesome. Today is going to be a Matt story. And by a Matt story, I mean I am back on my bullshit, just like always. It is not a cult today, though. I'm genuinely shocked by that. You should be. I'm going to open this Coke, so if you hear that, sorry, guys. Okay, Coke Zero. You should you probably sponsor us. They, we you drink definitely so much should. Coke Zero. Okay, so today I have done, like I said, what I normally do, but it's not a cult. I have managed to find a story that I can talk about that also has um, some film history involved, and I'll get to that near the end. But I, I always seem to find a way of combining things I love. Today, it's true crime, and it's cinema. And we're going to go all the way back to 1946. 1946, today. okay. We're going to go all the way back to 1946, and we're going to talk about one of the most prolific serial murder sprees that you have likely never heard of. Okay. And I mean prolific. Like, at the time, was a big, big deal. Why haven't we heard of it? I'm going to get to why I think that is a little bit later on. Okay. Because not too long after this, somebody used the same blueprint. And I think you're going to figure out who when we get into this story. So what's particularly wild about this story is, like I said, how much it feels like it influenced one specific killer later on down the line, not too far later See, down guys, the line. guys, this is why you're never the first. Um, as well as its insanely obvious influences on popular culture. We're going to talk about what are known as the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Have you ever heard of this before? I have not. Okay. So... The serial killer who committed the Texarkana Midnight Murders is known as the Phantom Killer um, and sometimes as the Phantom Slayer. Um, so if you aren't familiar with the city of Texarkana, it resides literally right on the western border of Arkansas and the eastern border of Texas and goes over both. Hence, it's um, appropriate name of Texarkana. My my nerdy ass was over here. Like, man, that sounds mystical. I know it's yeah, but it's 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 uh, it's not mystical. It's uh, it's it's hillbilly and redneck is what yep. it is. They're like they're like, what should we call the town? Um, I don't know. Where's it at? Texas and Arkansas, Texarkana. Let's just do that. Tex Arkansas. I don't know something like that. It's like it's um, celebrity couple name. I know it is an amazing name though. And tell me if the name of that of that serial killer is not outrageously interesting it's less so now yeah but the texarkana moonlight murders all right so um again you can tell that the city was named after the two states that it just so happens to reside in um from all of my research from what i can gather is that the area um around the town was a little bit wild back in the day um it was known as a place where hard work and people kind of went to unwind so you did have a lot of like um from what i can tell a lot of violent crime and stuff like that going on at the time so for a little while our serial killer actually kind of got away with it and we'll get into more about that here in just a moment um some areas were a little more subdued um and and that's kind of how he got into a little bit of trouble but overall, um, it seemed like a pretty normal post-World War II town for all intents and purposes. Um, cut to the night of February 22nd, 1946. And stop me if this sounds familiar. Around 11.45 p.m., a gentleman named Jimmy Hollis, age 25, and his girlfriend, Mary Jean Larry, um, age 19. I'm going to um, stop you right here. Is it a Zodiac? 
age 19, parked on a secluded road known as Lover's Lane. Um, the area was approximately 300 feet or 100 yards from the last row of city homes in uh, greater Texarkana. Shortly after parking, a man wearing a white cloth mask, um, which resembled, according to Jimmy and Mary, uh, resembled a pillowcase over his head with the eye holes cut out. Um, and he appeared on Hollis's driver's side door and shone a flashlight in the window, blinding them. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, I knew it was going to be the Zodiac. It's the Zodiac, right? So well before the Zodiac, this this gentleman pulled this. So Did well, this gentleman, gentleman get away with it? We're going to get into that. Hollis... Uh, told him that he had the wrong person because he asked him to get out of the car, to which the man responded, I don't want to kill you, fella, so do what I say. So the man shone the light in his eyes and said, I want you to get out, um, and said something to him, and he responded, you have the wrong person, and he said, I don't want to kill you, do what I say. Both Hollis and Larry were ordered out um, of the driver's side door. The man ordered Hollis to take off, to quote, take off his goddamn britches. After he complied, the man struck him in the head twice with a pistol. Larry later told investigators that the noise was so loud that she initially thought Hollis had been shot, but the sound she heard was revealed later to be his skull fracturing from being beat with the butt of a pistol. Thinking the assailant wanted to rob them, Larry showed him Hollis's wallet to prove that they had no money, after which um, she was struck with a blunt object. She did not remember what it was. The assailant ordered her to stand, and when she did, told her to run. Initially, she tried to flee toward a ditch, but the assailant ordered her to run up the road instead. Larry spotted an old car uh, parked off the road, but found it empty and was again confronted by the attacker um, who asked her why she was running. Um, when she said that he told her to do so, he called her a liar before knocking her down and sexually assaulting her. So again, this is an intense, intense confrontation. Um, he told them to get out of the car, um, fractured his skull with the butt of a gun told her to run and then began chasing her and kind of it told her to run and then kept asking her, why are you running and her, just kind yeah. of antagonizing her? It's, it's really intense. Um, so again, he knocked her down, sexually assaulted her after the assault, Larry was able to fight him off and fled on foot running half a mile to a nearby house. She woke the residents of the house and called the police during all of this, the confrontation between her and the attacker, um, Hollis regained consciousness, even though his skull was fractured and alerted a passing motorist who also called the police. Within 30 minutes, the police would arrive, but the attacker, the attacker had already fled. Larry was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound, um, and Hollis was hospitalized for several days to recover from multiple skull fractures. Hollis and Larry ended up giving conflicting reports of their attacker, which is really, really interesting because I'm going to talk about why here in just a little bit. Um, so they gave conflicting reports about their attacker. Larry claimed that she could slightly see under the mask and he was a light-skinned African-American. Hollis alternately claimed that he also was, was kind of able to see some features and it looked like a very tan white man around 30 years old, but conceded that he could not 
distinguish his features as he had been blinded by the flashlight. Both agreed that the assailant was around six foot tall, um, and law enforcement repeatedly challenged her accounts. I don't know why, and we probably won't know why, because this attack and the subsequent attacks we're going to talk about are still technically being investigated. This was never solved, but there are some interesting things with this. And apparently police challenged her account of what the person looked like and believed that she and Hollis knew the identity of their attacker and were covering for him. What? Wild, right? That's insane. I know. I know. What year was this? This was 1946. Oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah. So this was 1946. So they, the police, um, on February uh, 22nd of 1946, find out about this attack. Um, and you notice at this point, there is nobody dead. It was just, it was just an attack, a very right. vicious attack, uh, but just an attack. Um, so the police never even considered that this attack could be part of what we're just about to talk about until it was already over. Um, so again, kind of wild that they didn't because here's the next part of the story cut to a little over a month later. It's March 24th, 1946, Richard Griffin, age 29 and his girlfriend, Polly Ann Moore, age 17. It was a different time, folks. It was a different time. He was 29. (laughs) She was 17. Were found dead in Griffin's car on the morning of Sunday, March 24th, 1946, by a passing motorist. The motorist saw the car parked on Lover's Lane, 100 yards south of U.S. Highway 67 in Texas. So if you're a police and you're, you're a detective and you're studying um, a crime that had been committed in February and then... Two more people are attacked on Lover's Lane um, and this time are killed. You don't think to connect the dots between those two. No, obviously not. So the motorist at first thought the two were asleep. Griffin was found between the front seats um, on his knees with his head resting resting on his cross hands um, and his pockets turned inside out. So this time the killer posed him. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty pretty wild because the killer will will do this again, um, and nobody ever makes anything out of this. And I think that is a very very cryptic thing to do. And I think there's a little more to be read into how they were posed, uh, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that on this podcast. Maybe later we can talk about it. But um, I think it's really interesting because again, his hands were crossed, his head was resting in his crossed hands. Um, and uh, his pockets were turned inside out. Moore was found sprawled face down on the back seat. Uh, There is evidence to suggest that she was placed there after being killed on a blanket outside of the car. Griffin had been shot twice uh, while in the car. Both um, had been shot in the back of the head um, and were fully clothed. Blood-soaked patches of earth near the car um, are what suggested to police that they had been killed outside of the car and placed back inside. Congealed blood was found covering the running boards of the car, um, and it flowed. There was so much blood that it had flowed through the bottom of the car door and pulled. 
Um, there was a lot of blood. Oh my god. Yeah. A 32 caliber cartridge casing was also found, possibly ejected from a pistol um, wrapped in a blanket, is what they believe. So that is the first time that our killer um, has been successful in actually killing. Now, this time there was no evidence that he had made them run or do anything like that, which might be why the police didn't connect the two. Because, I mean, the first one he he did... He did make her run and chased her, which to me made it feel more personal, potentially. I'm not sure, but I, I don't know on that one. So, again, so far, we technically have four victims, but only two have died. Um, and it's only been one month apart. So okay. what are your thoughts so far? Um, honestly, I just... I've got nothing. I don't have any thoughts. Yeah. This like, is... this is just... So absurd to me, first of all, that they question the witnesses. It was the 40s. They question they question everybody into oblivion. This mm -hmm. is this is when they were convincing people to um, make confessions. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. this is a thing that happened. Yeah. So and, and there are conflicting reports, but there are reports that they had almost 400 suspects. Who were brought in for questioning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they were in Texas and he might have been just a little bit, you know, brown. Yeah, 400 people. 400. So that was March 24th. So again, just to kind of recap where we're at, guys, um, a couple is attacked on March... Did that town even have 400 people? Uh, oh, yeah. Texarkana was, is, is okay. pretty big. Yeah. Um, so, again, there have been four people attacked. Two of them um, were a couple who were attacked on Lover's Lane, February 22nd, 1946. Mm -hmm. The next two were attacked and killed on March 24th, 1946. So then it starts to get a little bit more frequent because, again, as I said before, they were about a month apart. The killer next attacked on April 14th, 1946. Okay. Around 1.30 a.m. Um, on Sunday, April 14th, Paul Martin, age 17, picked up uh, Betty Jo Booker, age 15, from a band performance at the local VFW at West 4th and Oak Street in Texarkana. Um, Martin's body was found around 6.30 a.m. later that morning, lying on its left side by the northern edge of North Park Road. Blood was found on the other side of the road by a fence. Um, he had been shot four times through the nose, through the ribs from behind, and in the right hand, and through the back of the neck. So when they found the blood on the other side of the road, I'm assuming that he shot... And the victim started to run. Yeah, um, is is what is what it sounds like to me. Um, Booker's body, um, fifteen year old Betty Jo Booker, was found by a search party about eleven thirty a.m. Nearly two miles from Martin's body, her body was behind a tree and lying on its back, fully clothed, and was posed with the right hand in the pocket of the buttoned overcoat. Booker had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. The weapon used was determined to be the same as the first double murder, a 32 caliber automatic pistol. So what stands out about this one to you, comparing it to the first one we know about? 
Okay, so this time he posed the female. Correct. Just like the second murder, just like the second attack, he posed yeah. the female instead of the male this time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really standing out to me is this is the third attack in how many months? A month and, and a half. A month yeah. and a half. And people are still using lovers' lanes like fools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that stands out the most to me. Like, the arrogance of just still doing that mm-hmm. and not being like, you know what? Maybe we just shouldn't. So, like, a lot of people say, because again, it wasn't until, because we're not done yet. And it wasn't until after the attacks had stopped that the police finally figured out that the February attack may be involved with this. But listen to this little piece right here. Um, what I said before, Booker's body was found two miles away from Martin's body, and Martin's body was found three miles from Booker's body. What what does that tell us? What could tie that to the first attack? He let them run. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how you could not have drawn the dots anymore. So I get how possibly the first one and the second one weren't considered... You know, I kind of get it because it didn't exactly match. This exactly matches the first attack. The only thing that doesn't match, and there were rumors around town at the time that uh, Booker had been sexually assaulted, but nobody nobody ever confirmed that. Right. Um, so that was just rumors. But making them run, letting them run, sounds a lot like someone yeah. who is out hunting people. Uh, obviously yeah so that matches really well with what happened on february 22nd and the fact that they still didn't put those pieces together seems really really odd and believe it or not it wasn't until he strikes next that the public and the police started piecing this together you're kidding me no now are all of these attacks happening in the same general area um texarkana same city Okay, Except yeah. the last one. The last one goes a little further outside of town. But we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, the authorities were not sure who was shot first, uh, Booker um, or, or Martin. Um, Sheriff Presley and Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gonz- uh, Gonzalez said that examinations of the bodies indicated um, that they both put up, quote, an intense struggle. So good on them. They fought back. Um, And at this time, as you can tell, a Texas Ranger is now involved. So somebody may have been trying to keep the public from panicking. And that was my first like kind of inkling, like maybe they did know something was going on. I don't think you call in the Texas Rangers unless unless you have something, you know, pretty serious happening. Um, So now let's get to the final murder attributed to the Phantom. Um, although there is one that could be that we'll also talk about here in a little bit. The final murder attributed to the Phantom was committed on May 5th, 1946, about 20 days after the, um, the second double homicide. Um, on Friday, March 3rd, um, sometime before 9 p.m., Virgil Starks, age 37, and his wife, Katie, age 36, were in their home on a 500-acre farm um, off of Highway 67 East, about 10 miles northeast um, of Texarkana. 
He was sitting in an armchair reading the newspaper when he was shot twice in the back of the head from a closed double window in the room. So the killer shot through the window and shot him twice in the back of the head. Hearing the sound of broken glass, Katie came in from another room and saw Virgil stand up and then slump back into his chair. When she realized he was dead, she ran to a wall-mounted telephone to call the police. It rang twice before she was shot twice in the face from the exact same window. Oh, shit. I don't think she knew what had happened. And she was still close enough to this open window. Yeah. It rang twice before she was shot in the face. Um, She fell, but then regained her footing and tried to get a pistol from another room, but she couldn't find it because she says she was blinded by her own blood. Which tracks. Yeah. Um, She heard the killer at the back of the house and fled out the front door. She ran barefoot across the street to her sister and brother-in-law's house, but nobody was home. Oh, no. Um, She ran to a neighbor uh, and gasped that Virgil's dead and then collapsed in front of their house. Um, Stark survived and was questioned in the operating room by the sheriff, um, who became the head of the investigation. Four days later, Davis talked with Starks again, and she discounted um, a circulating rumor that Virgil had heard a car outside um, several nights in a row um, and feared being killed. So there was a rumor going around that her husband had been hearing cars outside. Um, and apparently she said, that's not true. Like we, we didn't think anyone was coming for us or anything like that. So that was the final murder and attack that was actually attributed, attributed to the phantom. So in total, he murdered five people and wounded, um, Three for a total of eight victims um, over a span of less than three months. Insane. Wild. Absolutely wild. So let's talk a little bit about the public reaction and the, and the subsequent investigation. Um, the Griffin-Moore murders raised public concerns, but were generally taken as an isolated incident. Again, my understanding from what I was reading is Texarkana had some violent areas, so... It sounds like they were like, okay, it's just, you know, these gangsters taking care of each other. Something like that. Who knows? Um, Officials never at least publicly connected the earlier Hollis-Larry attack to the murders while the Phantom Killer was active. The Martin Booker murders um, alarmed the public to the likelihood of a serial predator. So it wasn't until the second double murder, so the sixth the fifth and sixth victims that anyone started piecing together that these could be related at least publicly. Um, but it was the deaths of the two church going teenagers that shocked the community. Um, Booker had been a popular high school junior, a sorority member and officer of the high school band. Um, and uh, she was a winner of scholastic literary and musical prizes. Um, and she was even a former little miss Texarkana. So it was a big deal when she got right. killed because again, everybody else who had been attacked or killed, you know, it's 1946. They could have been seen one way or the other by, by the community. And it, it might not have looked like anything, but you know, taking out the trash or, or something. Right. When this happened, it became a really big deal. Um, 
So her high school ended classes early so that hundreds of young people could attend the funerals. Curfews were set for businesses in an attempt to keep people off the streets at night. It was additionally um, at this point that the killer was dubbed the Phantom Killer by the local media. Hysteria started to grow following the murder of Virgil Starks in his home. Um, well, yeah, because now he's not just getting people on lover's lanes. He's getting yeah. people in their own homes, yep. their living rooms. He's coming right to your house, which is intense. And I will point out that I could not find information about what the caliber shell casings were that they found outside of the house, because I don't know if they found any. So I don't know if the killer had gotten on to the fact that he was leaving those 32 caliber shell casings mm-hmm. and took them. If anyone, because apparently there's a really good book uh, that, that goes into much more detail, and I might check it out just to see if I can find out, because that seems really interesting to me. Um, or... They did find shell casings, and they were a different caliber, and they deliberately are keeping it it out. out. That way, they know. Um, So, again, hysteria started to grow. Um, There was constant media coverage of the increased police activity, and the Texarkana Gazette stated on May 5th that the killer might strike again at any moment, any place, and kill anyone. This is what they were printing in the local newspapers. Um, 10 out of 10. For a week, police were inundated with reports of prowlers. One officer stated that nearly all of the alarm was the result of excitement, wild imagination, and near hysteria. The day after Stark's death, stores sold out of locks, guns, ammunition, window shades, and Venetian blinds. So if you, if you went to the Texarkana Bed Bath & Beyond, you weren't going to find uh, anything to cover your windows, apparently. Can you imagine? So this this feels like the toilet paper shortage. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like, I need blinds, <clears throat> and then you show up, and there's yeah. no blinds at all because everyone's losing their fucking minds. Yeah, because everybody's losing. But do you blame them at the same no, time? No, not at all. Man. But you've been to my house, mm-hmm. physically in it now. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen any of my curtains open? No. Exactly. <laughs> You're, you were way ahead of the game on this one. I was. Um, so, again, um, they sold out of everything. Additionally, items of which sales increased included window sash locks, um, screen door hooks, uh, night latches, and other protective devices. These stores were eating it up. Um some young men and women. Listen, I would have marked those up so fast. Me too. I'm. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm such not a trash person. I'm not ashamed to say it. I would have been like, uh, yeah, these are anti-phantom killer locks. You need them. I would have even wrote that on them. You know, fifty percent markup. Um, these are these are tested against phantom killers. They can't yeah. they can't get in. Um, so this is the other part that I think is wildly amazing, just amazing, and um, so Texas and Arkansas. Uh, for a week, police, uh, sorry, wrong, wrong line. Some young men and women armed themselves and parked at their normal makeout spots, hoping for a chance to capture or kill <laughs> the elusive phantom killer. Um, there were, there was a Texas Ranger that I told you was working on it. And apparently he publicly stated that is a really good way to get yourself killed. If that's what you're trying to do, basically. Yeah. Yeah. By either the actual killer or by somebody else who's staking out a spot. Correct. Like, yeah, I mean, this is that is all wrong. Why would you do that? 
Because teenagers are stupid, Matt. You know, you watch horror movies and you hear people rip on slasher movies like, who would run upstairs? These fucking people would run upstairs. They exist. Nine out of ten people are running upstairs. It's going to happen. I watched a horror film recently, and this is the first time I've ever seen something like that in a film. They they ran and they shut themselves into a room. Mm Mm-hmm. And the person that she was with goes, what are we doing? We're literally blocking ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know what? What a good point. Yeah, good. Why did you do it then? Um, <laughs> uh, because citizens were considerably nervous and armed with guns, Texarkana became an extremely dangerous place. When calling on an address to, to talk to people in the local community, law enforcement officers would turn on their sirens and stand in their headlight beams and announce themselves to keep from being shot by nervous homeowners. Um, it got ugly. Do you know how easy it would have made that for the Phantom to just start having some sirens? Correct. Yeah. Like, that so, so smart. <laughs> this, the fear was significant enough that it began to spread to other cities, including the city of Hope, Lufkin, Magnolia, and as far as Oklahoma City, uh, there were people taking these precautions. Um, they saw they saw in all of those cities um, cells uh, spiked for guns and axes. Um, after three weeks without any associated murder, um, Texarkana's uh, fear began to lessen a little bit, and the concerns did last throughout the summer, but subsided after about three months had passed. Um, because they, again, they did call in the Texas Rangers, they did have additional police units there, but they sort of just quietly dissipated after the summer was over. So, pretty interesting because, again. There was never another confirmed murder after that. Pretty Hmm. wild. All right. Tell me about this unconfirmed murder. So I'll get to that in just one second. All right. First, we're going to talk about the suspects because there are some that are interesting and we need to talk about. Okay. So throughout the investigations of the Phantom Killer case, some claim that almost 400 people were specifically arrested. Not questioned. Arrested. Um, they were just going around arresting everybody. Um, yeah. Although this claim is, again, unsubstantiated, where there's smoke, there's fire, they were probably arresting a lot of people. I'm, I figure they were going with the, uh, sorry for the bad pun here, shoot first and ask questions later approach. Um, there were numerous false confessions that were investigated by wow. police. Police recalled nine people who confessed to being the Phantom, but their statements did not agree with the facts. So again, they tried to say they were the Phantom when they questioned them. The, you know how we've talked about it a million times on this show. They know things that the public doesn't know and what they were saying for this exact work. purpose. Correct. Yeah. Um, in the Hollis and Larry case, um, there was never a suspect apprehended. There was never anyone brought in for questioning on it that I'm aware of, arrested for it, potentially anything like that. So the very first crime, nobody was ever connected to it, even through just questioning, uh, which is really interesting. In the Griffin-Moore case, over 200 persons were questioned, and about the same number of false tips and leads were checked. 
three suspects were taken into custody for bloody clothing, two of whom were released after officers received satisfying explanations for the blood on their clothes. The remaining suspect was held in Vernon, Texas for further investigation, but was eventually cleared of suspicion. So again, just to tell you how wild of a town Texarkana must have been, uh, there were people literally caught wearing bloody clothing, and they were like, ah, I was just over at the bar, and they were like, all right, that makes sense. It's a pretty rough place, so head on home. Um, yeah, so there are some people that are definitely worth talking about, and the first one is by far the most interesting, like to the point where there are people who swear that he committed these murders. Okay. Um, his name was Yule Swinney. So Yule Swinney was a 29-year-old car thief and counterfeiter. He was arrested in July by police who were investigating car thefts after realizing that on the night of the Griffin Moore murders, a car had been stolen in the area and a previously stolen car had been found abandoned in the same area. Police were able to locate the former car and arrested Swinney's wife, Peggy, when she came to retrieve it. Peggy confessed in, quote, great detail that Swinney was the phantom killer and that he had killed Booker and Martin. Her story changed in some details across several interviews, and stories believe that she was deliberately withholding information due to fear of Swinney or fear of incriminating herself in the crimes. So one of the things I was going to ask, it, especially after the third attack, was if they were both able to run, why did they only get the same amount of distance? It would make more sense if there were two people. It kind of would. And from what I'm understanding about the stories that she told, when they said it changed over time, it changed to take her more and more out of it. That does make sense. Yeah. So police were able to independently verify some of the details of Peggy's confession, such as the location of the victim's possessions where she said Yule had discarded them. Um, there was considerable circumstantial evidence against So how Swinney. is this unsolved? So it's unsolved because he was well known as a thief. And if he had, so what a lot of people who say he's not the phantom killer say, because all they found was the, he, he was that they knew where the belongings were. So what they think is he stole the car and abandoned it about the same place that the murder happened. He went and robbed the car and took all their belongings when he found them dead. And once he realized oh. that he could be potentially implicated in something worse, he tossed, tossed them. So that's what a lot of people believe happened. Um, there was considerable circumstantial evidence against Swinney, but Peggy's confession was the most critical part of the case. However, she recanted her confession um, and was considered an unreliable witness and could not be compelled to testify against her husband. Well, I mean, isn't there, I don't know if in the 40s, but there's some kind of law where she couldn't be... Yeah. Yeah. I'm not you sure what, what I'm talking they did, about. But this gets more interesting. Law enforcement officers worked for six months trying to validate Peggy's confession and tie Swinney to the murders. They found that on the night of the Booker Martin murders, the Swinneys were sleeping in their car under a bridge near San Antonio. 
So while he could have committed the one set of murders, they were well away from town when the other set happened. Okay. So the idea that he just pickpocketed the dead body and stole stuff from the car makes, makes more a sense, lot of sense when you yeah. do that. Um, Swinney was never charged with murder and was instead tried and imprisoned as a habitual offender for car theft. Investigators on the Swinney case later said that the sentence was effectively a plea bargain, though the case files indicated no formal agreements. Right. Um, so kind of interesting there. Swinney was apparently concerned about being sentenced to death for the murders, so he agreed to no contest Um and the habitual offender was charged and, in fact, tried to plead guilty despite the charge requiring a jury trial. So, again, there's so much about that story and about that suspect that does not pan out for me that I genuinely, from what I'm seeing, I don't believe he was the killer. Right. Um, I believe he was a very bad dude who did a lot of really bad stuff. And well, I do and believe it makes sense yeah. that the. Um the police and prosecutors would use something to get to two birds. You know correct. what I mean? Yeah, correct. So um, we only have two other um, suspects we're going to talk about. These are very interesting. Um, the other is um, Henry Booker Tennyson, known locally as Duty. I mean, if I had to pick a nickname for myself, yeah. I would definitely call myself duty yeah duty was an 18 year old university freshman that explains it who died by suicide on november 4th 1948 leaving behind cryptic instructions which directed investigators to a suicide note in which tennyson confessed to the booker martin and starks murders um he had played trombone in the same high school band as Booker, but they were not friends. Investigators were unable to find any other evidence linking Tennyson to those murders. Um, James Freeman, a friend of Tennyson, provided an alibi for the night of the Starks murder, stating that they had been playing cards that evening when they heard the news of the attack. So they did question his close friends and family and found that likely it was just a very troubled young man um, who had um, wanted to confess to it. Uh, I, I'm assuming for clout. Clout. Yeah. And then the last one is by far the weirdest one and it's Ralph Bauman. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, I do not believe this gentleman had anything to do with these murders. When you hear his story, it was just too wild not to include. Oh, Ralph... Well. <laughs> I, I think he did it. Ralph Bauman, a 21-year-old ex-Army Air Force machine gunner, claimed to have awoken in a, from a fugue state for several weeks on the day um, of the Starks' murder, and his rifle was missing. He said that he heard about the suspect matching his description and hitchhiked to Los Angeles, feeling like he was running from murder. On May 23rd, he told Los Angeles police that he thought he might be the phantom, saying, quote, I'm my own suspect. So he thought he had gone oh, into a state. Shot. Yeah, it was bad. Oh. Yeah, police arrested him. Uh, but several parts of the man's story had no basis. In fact, Bauman said that he'd been discharged uh, for being, quote, psychoneurotic. Um, and he had previously confessed to killing three people in Texarkana in a period of three days, which did not match the timeline of the killings. Oh. So, again, 
none of these suspects that are considered major suspects in the case make any sense for the actual killings themselves. Yeah. That's um, unfortunate. Once you kind of get into it, it's it's kind of easy to see why people were um why people were eh, about it. Yeah. You know, you get what I'm saying. So there are there are two other people that I'm going to talk about um, really quickly. One is Sammy. Um, and this is an interesting potential person uh, of interest in this. Sammy is a pseudonym given to a longtime Texarkana resident with a good reputation um, whom the police were reluctant to name as a suspect. His vehicle's tire tracks were found across the road from Martin's corpse, and he failed a polygraph test, so the police decided to have him... Those are super reliable. Well, listen to how reliable the next part is. He failed a polygraph test, so police decided to have him hypnotized by psychiatrist Travis Elliott. Okay. Um, Elliott concluded that Sammy had no criminal tendencies and he had pulled the vehicle to the side of the road in order to urinate. (laughs) And then he visited a married woman with whom he was having an affair. Great. The police verified the details of the urination and the banging of the married woman and everything's fine. Um... Oh, the 40s. Yep, absolutely. Um, And now, finally, Earl McSpaden. Um, On May 7th, at approximately 6 a.m., the body of Earl Cliff McSpaden was found on the Kansas City Southern Railway tracks, 16 miles north of Texarkana, near the city of Ogden. The body's left leg and arm had been severed by a freight train an hour earlier. Oh, The coroner's... Injury verdict stated death at the hands of unknown persons. Um, And that, quote, he was dead before being placed on the railroad tracks. Because the murder is unsolved, um, locals have speculated that McSpaden was the Phantom's sixth victim. A prominent rumor exists claiming that McSpaden was the Phantom and had committed suicide by jumping in front of a train. I genuinely do not believe that um, Earl McSpaden had anything to do with it, either as a victim or he as doesn't a fit. The, I was going to say he doesn't yeah. fit. Not at all. Like not even a little bit. So that was the one I was going to tell you that there are a lot of people that try to. I, they grasp at straws to make that one that part one of it. Doesn't yeah, fit. It makes no sense. At the time of you hearing this, I'm assuming because uh, it's going to you know come out in a moment. Um, the murders are unsolved. Uh, the murders and aftermath have been the subject of a lot of conjecture. Amateur sleuths have attempted to piece together the puzzling stories, the murders that seem connected, but also loosely don't seem connected. Right. Um, the, the two the two attacks in the middle are the two that seem the most connected. The first attack and the attack at the home both feel odd to me. Yeah. I think they're connected, but they feel... The last one almost feels copycatish to me. Yeah. Um, in a weird way. Like, like, I don't know, someone had a vendetta or something like that. And that was the way that they solved it. Um, so it's, it's interesting because I, I mean, we're talking about a time when, um, an entire region of our country was truly, truly, um, horrified and scared and locking themselves in and threatening to ple- 
to shoot police if they came to their house. Um, pretty, pretty wild. Um, the story also went on to spawn the exploitation drive-in classic, which is the way I found out about this, known as the town that dreaded sundown. What a sweet name, right? Yeah. It's amazing. And what I'm going to say about the, the town that dreaded sundown, it was made by one of my favorite regional filmmakers, um, the legendary Charles Pierce. I'm sure you know who Charles Pierce is. Um, yeah. He no. made such films as The Legend of Boggy Creek, which I'm going to visit Boggy Creek this year, and I'm very excited about it. And you guys can't see him, but he is viscerally I am excited. He genuinely is genuinely excited. Um, <laughs> like a kid on Christmas. And he also made The Evictors, which is a, an excellent, excellent little film, if you can find it. It's kind of hard to track down. But if you buy the, the Shout Factory release of The Town That Dreaded Sundown, it's like 13 bucks. It comes with a DVD of The Evictors, and I highly recommend it. It's very, very good. But you want to see The Town That Dreaded Sundown because there's something else about the movie version that I think is very, very interesting, and I'm going to show you right now, and I will beg Brittany to put these pictures up. So here is the ridiculously cool poster for it. So I'm showing Kelsey the poster. Shows the the bag-masked killer, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen Friday the 13th Part 2? I know I have. So this was this came out in the late 70s, and mm -hmm. this bag that he wears in the movie literally looks like the bag that Jason wears on his head in Friday the 13th Part 2, which oh. I think is really interesting because a lot of people consider The Town That Dreaded Sundown, even though it's based on a true story, to be what's called a proto-slasher or a slasher that was made prior to the slasher boom of the 1980s. So, oh, cool. Throwing that out there. Um, the movie also spawned a sequel and kind of remake in 2014 that got really weird. It's a good movie, but it's basically like he comes back 66 years later or something like that. Ah, uh, yes, Michael Myers. It's got some good kills, but it's got some, some weird, like, witchcrafty stuff. It's odd. Just go watch it. It's kind of cool. Um, you can also see the obvious connections between these killings and another infamous case, which we discuss over two full episodes, the Zodiac Killer. Um, there is no way that the man who committed the Zodiac crimes did not at least know about this because it's all way too close, right? I mean, walking up to a car in Lover's Lane... Two people okay. shining the Follow flashlight in this. their All eyes. All right, ready to I go mean, down the on. rabbit hole with me? I am. I want to hear All right, it. wonderful. When did the Zodiac killings happen? What year was it? Oh, you asked too quick. It was the 60s, mid-60s. Great, awesome. Yeah. Okay, this is the 40s. That was the 60s. Mm -hmm. What if... It's the same person. No. Some people have said that. Go ahead, though. What if it's not the same person, but it's his son? Ooh. Son of the Phantom Killer. The Zodiac Killer. Um, yeah, it, it could be. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say no. I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna. I will have you know anything. that for sure happened on a Criminal Minds episode. And actually, it was the so late it has 60s. To be true. So, really? Mm -hmm. Oh wow. Mm -hmm. um, I'm shocked that they never went into this one on Criminal Minds or something like that. I am sure they did, but maybe. it has been a very long time, and there are like 15 seasons. And maybe it just didn't stand out to you at the time, too. You know what I mean? So I, I think this one is, this this story is ripe for rediscovery. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that, I mean, they, when you read about this, I mean, they were like, they I'm, they were shutting the town down as soon as the sun went down. Yeah. Um, they were shutting it down. There were people boarding themselves up in local hotels, doing anything they could to stay safe from this man who was on a 
on a killing spree in their town. That's amazing. Um, it's it's wild. It's crazy to me that nobody talks about it more. And when I realized, because I'll tell you how, how I came up with the idea to do this episode. Um, I was watching The Legend of Boggy Creek. Not you. Because I'm getting really excited to go visit the real Boggy Creek, which, by the way, you have to go through Texarkana to get to. Ooh. And I'm very excited about that because maybe you'll see some TikToks from there uh, if I'm feeling froggy when I go through it this year. Um, and I'll show you guys some of the cool stuff I find in Texarkana along the way. I'm going to stop and eat somewhere and see if I can solve the crime while I'm at it. I figure they need me down there uh, to solve Matt's it. Matt's in a diner. Yeah. Matt's in a diner sipping his coffee yeah. and just goes, it's that guy. <laughs> it's this asshole right over here. I get in his face. And, I solved the case, but he's only then, like 20. And then you hear about uh, a madman getting getting arrested in Texarkana or, you know. So either way, um, I was watching <laughs> The Legend of Boggy Creek and I was like, you know what? I haven't gone down the rabbit hole that is the filmography of Charles Pierce in a while. So I threw in the town that, said, that dreaded sundown. And it's when it comes up and says based on actual events that I was like, Guess who's doing an episode on this? So it's been brewing for a couple months. Um, and I was really, really excited to bring it to the table because I think, and you guys tell me if you agree with this, there is a way, I believe, through the Amazon app that we can do a watch party. And I believe that some of the movies I've talked about are on there. We should throw together some watch parties if people want to, where we I all tune in at the same time and watch absolutely it. want to do a watch party. And we can talk about it. So we can we can watch some of these wild movies I've been telling you guys about, and we can uh, we can discuss them and how cheesy you all think they are. But I love them. So I mean, it's because they are kind of cheesy, <laughs> and that's why they're good. All right. So that is all I have. Um, I'm very excited for everybody to hear this. Tell me what you think. Tell me if you knew about this ahead of time. Tell me if I got any of the facts wrong. Because this is, it, it's all over the place. And there's a lot of speculation with it. Um, but I, I think it's an amazing story and, and definitely worth talking about. So um, that's all I have. And can you tell everybody where they can find us? Um, generally, where they're already listening to us. Yes. But also, iHeartRadio... Amazon, Audible, which I think are both the same thing. Pretty much. Um, I heart, I said I heart radio. Mm -hmm. Dang. Um, Spotify. Spotify, Anchor, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you can find excellent podcasts. But you also listen to us. You can also email us at maincorpsepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also get a hold of us on Facebook or Twitter, and we will do our best to get back to you. Yeah, we'll try. All right. Stay creepy. Stay super creepy, guys. <laughs> <laughs>